The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today, my guest is Elizabeth Saunders, who is the Mass Director, Massachusetts Director, of uh, At Clean Water Action. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Rob. Good to and be how here. are you today? Doing great. Yeah, glad to be here on the show. You're uh, calling in from Boston? That's right. Yeah, I'm over here in Harvard Square, just across the river. We'll try Excellent. not to throw things at each other. <laughs> um, so uh, t- uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and your work at you know, Clean Water Action. Great. Um, so I have worked at Clean Water Action for about 12 years and just became the Massachusetts director a few months ago after spending most of my career here working on toxic chemical policy campaigns, which we'll talk more about later. Uh, so but you've walked the talk, in other words. Yeah, I have definitely, uh, when I started here, it was the first, I you know, graduated from college, found this found this job, thought I'd be here for a year or two and go back to grad school or travel or something like that and actually turned out another job because I wanted a two-year commitment and here I am 12 years later. Didn't, uh, you never so know Elizabeth, how these... what was the grunt work they made you do at the beginning that wasn't so bad, I guess? It wasn't too bad. <laughs> Did they have you going door to door or they have you tasting chemicals or what they do? Yeah, no, I mean, I jumped right into organizing from the very beginning and we, uh, I think one of the first tasks that I did was a I remember one of the first projects was that there was a an, a film that was put out by Bill Moyers on toxic chemicals, and there was a group that we work with that had organized a whole sort of toolkit for people who wanted to take that film and turn, help people turn it into action. And so we took it took up we organized people to have house parties to view that film and. Uh, you use the toolkit, and it was an exciting project. And there, right before I started, there had been a big conference of folks coming together to talk about toxic chemicals and how do we uh, move forward on these. So there was a lot of enthusiasm already already built, and then I got to walk in and just start to organize people into small groups locally. And, you know, it's just exciting from the beginning. That's great. I can see how I would get involved with that. Um, tell us about, in, in general, what, what are the goals of the Clean Water Action? So Clean Water Action is a national environmental organization. Uh, 
despite the name of the organization, so I'll say we started actually in the 1970s around the passage of the Clean Water Act, but we've expanded a lot since then. So despite the name of the group, we do a lot of things that are not necessarily directly water-related, although certainly everything is interconnected. So we work on issues. We do work on clean water. We work on clean air, uh, healthy communities, and making democracy work. That's the Those are the elements of Clean Water Action's mission statement. And then specifically in Massachusetts, we work a lot on climate change and clean energy, energy efficiency. Uh, we also work on toxic chemical policy, trying to replace toxic chemicals with safer alternatives and make laws that do that wherever possible. We've done a lot with solid waste policy, trying to get the recyclables out of our waste stream and keep the state from building more incinerators or building more landfills, but really focusing on the recycling and the waste and making manufacturers responsible for the products at the end of their useful lives so that we can really cut down on how much we're throwing in the trash and what toxics we're throwing in the trash. And we do uh, we do work around water management and water uh, quality as well. So we cover a wide range. Well, the Ocean River Institute and this program has done a lot on uh, water issues, and so it's great to be able to spend some time with you to talk about toxic chemicals and talk about uh, solid waste recycling, those two um, realms in particular. Um, but there, yeah, I understand there's a broad range of, of issues that Clean Water Action works with. And, yeah. um, but as the Mass Director of Clean Water Action, um, what's one of the ones that you're putting a lot of focus on now? Well, the toxic chemicals. Yes, the toxic chemical work that we do. We've worked with for a long time, over ten years, with a whole host of groups. That's really one of the core backbone tenets of Clean Water Action's work: is that we don't work as an as a group in isolation, and and not even just with the other environmental groups, but we always make it a priority to team up with other types of organizations so that we can have the broadest voice possible. And so this is an example. We've been, we've worked with others to build a coalition called the Alliance for a Healthy Tomorrow, which is made up of environmental groups, labor unions, uh, public health-based groups, groups of people who are advocating for people with specific illnesses or disabilities, faith-based groups, civic groups like the League of Women Voters or the PTA, scientists, doctors, healthcare professionals. Um, so we've really got a wide range of folks that have come together around this issue of preventing harm to our health from toxic chemicals, all under the banner of the Alliance for Healthy Tomorrow Coalition. And is there a web page people can go to to learn more about the Alliance for Healthy Tomorrow? Yes, the... Uh, the Healthy Alliance for Healthy Tomorrow Coalition has a website at healthytomorrow.org. Healthytomorrow.org. Thank you. That's right. Um, so you've got a whole range from uh, the chemistry, the toxic chemistry, to kind of social justice issues. It sounds like. That's right. That, I mean, we see this issue very much as a social justice issue. It's about our health. Uh, this is about the rising rates that we're seeing of cancer, of asthma, of learning disabilities, of things like Parkinson's, of endometriosis, of infertility problems, of birth defects, early puberty, you name it, the health problems that just debilitate people's lives and pose a huge cost to our health care system 
are have been increasing over the last decades, and particularly sort of since World War II, as synthetic chemicals became more and more prevalent on the market. And so there, while there's certainly lots of factors that contribute to each of these illnesses, more and more we're seeing links, scientists are finding links between toxic chemicals that we're exposed to in our everyday lives and these illnesses. So the, we're living in an increasingly toxic environment, toxic world. That's right. Bummer. That's right. We are. I mean, we're all surrounded by it every day, you know, whether it's the it, you know, chemicals in your personal care products and cosmetics, uh, you know, our shampoos and soaps and toothpaste and all those things we put on our skin and in our bodies, whether it's the pesticides on our lawns or in our food, whether it's the chemicals that are in the plastics that are our children's toys or our shower curtains or our food containers, you know, or whether it's the things we're exposed to at work. If you're working a desk job and working with you know, computers with flame retardants and sitting in office chairs with flame retardants or whether you're in a factory or some other industrial job and being exposed to solvents and adhesives and all the different chemicals that are used in industrial settings. We are all just experiencing a soup. We're just in the middle of a toxic soup every day. But it's too bad that, you know, government can't help protect us from certain things or can't you know, we can't carry around our back pocket a list of all the assaults that we're going under uh, when we walk down the street or when we walk into a workplace. Exactly, and that's exactly one of our core messages is the idea that you, we as consumers cannot shop our way out of this problem. The You have to be a toxicologist to go into a... Even just, even if everything, every, even if every ingredient was labeled on every product, you'd have to be a toxicologist in order to understand those labels and to be, you know, we all have many interesting things to do in our lives besides reading the fine print on every single product that we buy. Um, and it's just too much information for everybody to learn about what every chemical is and what the potential health impacts are. So we need government regulation. We, there are people out there who know what the toxic chemicals are and what the safer alternatives are, and so that we need the government to take that information and require companies to make our products safe. Um, in the United States, we've got really outdated laws around this. Many other countries are quite far ahead of the United States, but in the U.S., our primary toxic chemical regulation law is called the Toxic Substances Control Act, which was passed in 1976. Wow. Yeah, um, and it was a poorly written law then, and it has not been updated since then. So you can imagine that even if it was a really good law then, we've learned a lot about chemistry and about chemicals and about our health since then. And so it would probably need updating. But it wasn't a good law to start with, and so now it's really just out of date and ineffective. Yeah, it needs, it needs updating, and also the the regulatory people need the funds to check things out. I mean, that's right. It's, there's so much stuff in our drinking water, and, and we don't, and no one can afford to even pay for the test to look for these obscure chemicals. I mean, each chemical, you know, to test your your body hair for mercury is like $100, you know, a test kind of thing. And uh, so to test, you know, water quality for a community, you know, it just gets kind of ridiculous, I guess. Not to mention every single consumer product and every possible chemical that could be in every single consumer product. Um, the 
you know, one of the, and, and there's a huge burden of proof that's required under this Toxic Substances Control Act was just untenable. Um, the, I, I think the prime example of how this law has failed us is, has to do with asbestos. And it's well known yeah. that asbestos is a carcinogen at this point. Nobody's debating that for, you know, that, that's just widely known. And in the 80s, the EPA spent a decade building the case about why asbestos was a health problem, why it was toxic, and that it should be banned under this act. And in the end, the they, they EPA regulated asbestos under this act and was sued by the chemical industry, lost the suit because the degree to which they had to pr- completely prove that the chemical was causing harm was an impossible hurdle. Right. And so they lost that suit and, you know, any regu- asbestos has been regulated under some other laws at this point, but it just demonstrates, but it's still out there in some uses, and it just demonstrates how ineffective this law was. Yeah, the, the, you know, the, the legal precise precision that laws have to have is just ridiculous, you know. We we hear that uh, about you know there's concerns about injecting fluids into the earth for fracking, and so the scientists say and then those chemicals will contaminate well water. That's right. And, and the scientists say there's no direct connection between injecting the water and the well water, injecting the chemicals in the well water. Well, that's it's not direct connection if you inject it over there and it seeps through the rocks and comes into your well. It's called an indirect connection. So technically, there's no direct connection, but Actually, you know, we're being poisoned by it stuff. And that's exactly. sort of what happened maybe with this asbestos laws was that, uh, well, we saw the whole thing with tobacco and, and that, you know, does tobacco cause cancer? And it took them, you know, decades to make that link, even though everyone knew there was a link there. That's right. The the tobacco, there was actually an expose done earlier this year by the Chicago Tribune where they drew a lot of links between the tobacco industry and the chemical industry, both in terms of just similar practices and actual ties. Um, and it's just the, the, all the lies that were told by the tobacco industry for so many years and all that resistance to regulation. And that's exactly what we see with the chemical industry. Um, and there was, an, as I mentioned, there was an expose done by the Chicago Tribune this year on having to do with flame retardants, the chemicals that we put into things like uh, mattresses and sofas and electronics and it's anything made of any of those polyurethane foam uh, cushions that are in so much of our furniture. Yeah. And um, they demonstrated that there was that the links between the tobacco industry because there's always a concern of of cigarette burns in furniture. Yeah. Or cigarettes starting fires um, that are accelerated by furniture, and then that sort of linked with lies about how well or not these flame retardants were protecting people. Um, it turns out that they were not doing the job, and they were adding toxic chemicals to our furniture. But it was just the, the links that were drawn by right. the expose were uh, astronomical, and I, I definitely recommend any listener who's interested in this subject to, tech, to read that series from the Chicago Tribune. It was called Playing with Fire because it was just really well done and just really highlighted the just egregious 
behavior okay. by these industries. Elizabeth, we have to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Elizabeth Saunders. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. We're We're having a really yucky, dark discussion today about toxic chemicals. And my guest, Elizabeth Saunders, is uh, going to uh, help us out with some hope and some thoughts of safer alternatives. So um, my apologies for getting down to the depths of this uh, dingy, dirty stuff. Um, Elizabeth, um, how can people learn more about um, Clean Water Action? So Clean Water Action is online at uh, cleanwateraction.org. Uh, specifically, if you want to learn about our Massachusetts programs where we focus a lot on the issue of toxic chemicals, it's cleanwateraction.org slash MA. Excellent. And earlier we were talking before the break um, about how complicated everything is. And when trying to make linkages and, and find fault with one chemical, other chemicals would come up. And one of those chemicals you mentioned is flame retardant chemicals. And um, this sounds like that should be a good thing. Aren't flame retardant chemicals what you want so you don't get burned and stuff? Yeah, that is, that is a good question. So the problem is that so you know, flame retardants are used in a variety of products. The most common uses are in electronics, so our computers, our cell phones, uh, our televisions, children's toys that are that are you know, with the bells and the lights and the whistles, um, and in foam products, so things like couches or mattresses or 
baby baby we were just had we just had some baby nap mats tested um so you know lots of they children's used to put products. All pajamas and couch covers that's right the uh all sorts of, lots of things like that that a fabric will will do that um actually in 19 i think it was 77 the chemical chlorinated tris was banned from children's pajamas um, because of the toxic hazards and it's come back today so these it's coming back today in other ways which we'll talk about in a minute the um the chemicals that are used to to prevent the spread of fire uh, are often extremely toxic and linked to nervous system damage or car- cancer or um, endocrine system disruption. That, so just to unpack that How do we phrase. consume these chemicals? Sorry? How are we getting contaminated? Yeah, so these things get into our bodies. You know, when you sit on a couch... Um, no, really? It just goes through your skin and stuff? Well, I don't know. It may or may not go through your skin, but you certainly are breathing it in. They don't stay put in the furniture. They end up in the air. There have been studies done showing that it's all in our household dust. Uh, that, oh, my so gosh. That, you know, so you imagine if it's in the dust, then that's because it's gotten out of the products, out of the furniture, into the air. Right. And, it's, and so I, mean, I thought it, it was just in the landfill or something. It was contaminating water or something. But it right. can literally be in all- the air, so that's a double whammy. Yeah, and think of all of us who, you know, working so hard these days, sit at our desks, eating our lunch while we uh, while we type at our keyboards, and you know, you're probably the 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 computers are full of flame retardants, and so you end up. I'm hmm. speculating that you end up with the flame retardants on your hands, and then you pick up your sandwich, and you know, there's lots of ways to get exposed. Yeah, yikes. Um. So there's a need for a comprehensive reform. <laughs> you know, um, how, how can we bring about comprehensive reform when it's so ubiquitous, all this poisons and toxins? Sure. So one of the goals of, the, of our organization is to pass laws that will create systems for replacing toxic chemicals with safer alternatives wherever that's feasible. So... We are working in Massachusetts to pass legislation called the Safer Alternatives Bill, which would create a program to systematically, one at a time, look at toxic chemicals, look at where they're being used in Massachusetts and what are the, where are people being exposed, especially where are workers or children being exposed, and wherever it's feasible, replace those toxic chemicals with safer alternatives. That How would the bill do that? So the bill would set up this pro, set up the program, um, building on the work of an existing law that we have in Massachusetts called the Toxic Use Reduction Act. We have some excellent experts in Massachusetts, based primarily at UMass Lowell and also in the uh, in Boston at the Office of Technical uh, Assistance and the Department of Environmental Protection. There's a lot of good work that's been done in Massachusetts to identify. What are toxic chemicals? What are safer alternatives? Working with right now, we do a lot of the the state does a lot of work with businesses who are using large volumes of toxic chemicals. So those will be industrial uses to help them reduce their toxic chemical use and the pollution from that use. Yeah, um, that's what we do. In our earlier program of Moyer's environmental dialogues, I spoke with Mike Barrett, who was the uh, Massachusetts representative that helped author that bill, Toxic Use Reduction Act. And, That's right, uh, and he's just now gotten elected back to the Senate again, right? Right, I need to announce that, because he was a candidate when he was being interviewed, and he did win uh, 
the election, so he is going back to um, uh, the Senate. Or he's going to the Senate. He was before was in, well, maybe it was both, I guess. But he's going back to Beacon Hill. That's great. And um, so there's, so you're working on, you've built an alliance. And in fact, this is a main goal for the Alliance for a Healthy Tomorrow's coalition is this safe alternatives to toxic chemicals bill. And um, it, it seems like Massachusetts is taking a more entrepreneurial approach to this problem than did, say, California. Because didn't California do it more chemical by chemical? Lots of states have been, there's a few states that have passed chemical, sort of more comprehensive bills that address a a number of chemicals or sort of set up a system like this. So at least some of them have only focused on children's products. We're hoping to catch a wider swath of the population. Um, But a lot of states have been passing bills that address one chemical at a time. So it might be, you know, a bill just banning bisphenol A in baby bottles or a bill, uh, we were talking earlier about flame retardants, bills have been passed that that uh ban flame retardants um and and those you know those those have been big victories in a lot of those states hard fought battles and you know they're really helping to move this issue forward um there is one there are a few limitations to that strategy and one of them the flame retardants is a great example of so a number you know there's a class of flame retardants that are known as PBDEs they stand for polybromyl diphenyl ethers uh but you don't have to remember that <laughs> PBDEs uh they are have been used as flame retardants for a long time and they have a lot of health problems associated with them and so a number of states started to ban them early in in the first part of the 2000s so what well, well, we recently we did a study on uh, flame. Ret- we participated, I should say, in a study on flame retardants in couches, where people from all over the country cut off a little corner of the foam in the, inside their couch cushion and sent it off to a lab to be tested for these flame retardants. And they tested for both the those PBDEs and then also another class of chemicals called chlorinated tris. Now these are the ones that were banned in the children's pajamas in 1977, but they were only banned in children's pajamas. So what we saw as the results of this testing was that before 2000, couches that were made before 2005, before a number of states started phasing out these PBDEs and then the industry decided to phase them out altogether, um, lots of couches before 2005 contained these PBDEs uh, and sometimes, sometimes other chemical, other flame retardants were used. There was some chlorinated tris. There were some other types. After 2005, the couches that were tested that were made later were chlorinated tris was predominantly the flame retardant, and almost none of it was PBDEs. So you went and replaced one set of toxic chemicals with another one because you have to take this whole idea of safer alternatives into account. Otherwise, you phase out, if you just ban one chemical, you got to think about what's that substitution that's going to come in in its place. Right. So that's why we're looking at a more comprehensive strategy that really forces the industries in the state to look at the whole package. I like it because it says to an entrepreneur, if you can come up with a safer alternative, then um, you'll get a market share because the state will mandate its use. Uh, whereas exactly. Otherwise, you're on, everyone's, you know, why bother to find a better alternative to whatever, whatever the chemical is? We've already got a lot of chemicals out there. Who needs more chemicals kind of thing? Sure. Um, so I think it's very exciting that it could um, make uh, Massachusetts more of a, 
a chemical, toxic chemical valley the way, you know, a lost got, you know, in California there, San Jose is a Silicon Valley. Um, we could have, um, you know, some interesting um, developments of, of safer alternative chemicals that have instant market share, and then, uh, and then the rest of the nation, you know, would be easier just to have the market help people buy it. Because often the safer alternative is more expensive, which is why the companies want to use it in the first place. That's true. Although it's also a bit of a myth um, that is part of you know part of our work is to debunk some of these myths about why you know the the companies use it as excuses for avoiding the safer alternatives. Sometimes the safer alternative is more expensive. Sometimes it's not. Right. Um, it, sometimes there's a little bit of startup uh, cost to use a um, safer to, to transition the process that a company is using. And then once, and then once they've made the transition, it's uh, equal or lesser cost. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, yeah. So it's it's it completely varies on the situation. So that's a the, very good point because I've yeah. seen that many times where the the, the inhibiting factor was the conversion. That's and right. once the company makes the the company's reluctant to make the conversion, but once they do. They start saving money with every application, and they're grateful afterwards. But That's right. never have agree. gone over that conversion hump, you know, threshold, without uh, regulatory pressure or, or significant public pressure. Exactly, and that a great example of that is the Toxic Use Reduction Act that we were talking about a few minutes ago, which it was passed in the late '80s. And in the first 15 years of the program, um, there are similar statistics for the 20 years, but I don't have them. I haven't memorized them. Uh, in the first 15 years of the program, there was, let's see, of the companies that participated, they collectively reduced their toxic chemical use by 40%, their toxic chemical release by 80%, and they saved a collective $15 million. Right. Yeah, the chrome, the chrome plating industry found that out pretty yeah. quick. Yeah, there's lots and lots of examples like that. Um, Elizabeth, we're going to um, take another break, and then we're okay. going to come back and um, – Talk about some of the other uh, chemicals that uh, we should be concerned about. All right, sounds good. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm talking with Elizabeth Saunders from Clean Water Action. Uh, Elizabeth, it's pretty frightening about the toxic chemicals that are coming out of my couch cushions. Um, <laughs> yes, I do. I do end up being the bearer of bad news more often help, than not. Help us out here. What can we do? Should we be putting? If there's a hole in our um, in in the the cover of the couch, should I have that repaired, or should I just leave it open, or should I be putting a plastic bag around the couch, or better that than the kid? I think. Well, I think you know one of the things. In terms, I mean, in terms of the the couches, there, you know, there's a lot of things that we're exposed to every day. And one of the messages that we often say to people is, look for what is feasible for you. If if you know, replacing your couch with a frame, flame retardant free couch, which a are hard to find, uh, it, it, that might be tricky. Then look okay, at another place that so you're forth, exposed yeah. to. And look at something else that you're exposed to and uh, see if that, that might look easier. Maybe next month you can think about the couch. You know? Okay, um, I've got the solution for that one, less couch potatoes. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, let's move on to some other chemicals. Okay. Well, what is this, you know, we could, there's lots of different things that we could talk about as examples of the types of chemicals that we're all exposed to every day. Um, you, know, you were asking me earlier about cadmium and lead uh, as chemicals that we've certainly all heard of. You know, lead, as most folks know, are familiar with it as a, a nervous system chemical, that, damaging chemical that you know, can cause brain damage or learning disabilities and whatnot, um, which is certainly frightening. And cadmium is a carcinogen, um, both heavy metals that are more prevalent than we would think. Um, some examples of places that we've found them are, uh, well, one place that you find, can find both of them are in, are in products that are made of PVC, polyvinyl chlorate or vinyl. So there's lots and lots of things that are made of vinyl. It's all over. You know, think about building materials, vinyl siding on our houses or vinyl flooring or vinyl windows. There's uh, plastic couch cushions or chair cushions. Uh, think about, think, think pleather. That sort of fake leather is yeah. more often than not made of vinyl. Children's toys, children's backpacks, um, your shower curtain. Yeah, we had rubber duckies, so we had to make them check to make sure they didn't have PVCs in them. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, polyvinyl chloride is it's it's bad news by itself. It is when when it's created, it there's chemical called dioxin that's released in the creation of it, which is a toxic chemical. There's an area in Louisiana known as Cancer Alley because of the huge number huge cancer rates. Uh, in, in an area where there's lots of industry and a number of those factories there are PVC factories. 
when when you throw PVC out, it is it, and it gets burned in incinerators, which is how most of our trash is dealt with in Massachusetts. Uh, the the dioxin is released again. It's a again a carcinogen that just goes right up the smokestack. Right, and if so you bury it in the ground and the water gets through there, you can contaminate water with it too. Sure. So PVC, you know, by itself is a problem, but it's, but PVC by itself is very hard and brittle. And if you just think about those products that we talked about, you know, a rubber duck or a shower curtain or a cushion cover, those are soft and flexible, right? Mm-hmm. So they add other chemicals to the PVC to make it soft and flexible. So you get so they add things like lead and cadmium. That's what makes it durable. That's what makes it hard. No. Uh, um, and or it makes it long lasting. Or they add chemicals that are called phthalates, which are uh, also and things that mess up our hormone systems, which causes all kinds of problems in our body. And those are what make it soft and flexible. So whenever you smell that new shower curtain smell, you that you know, or that new car smell that we're all so familiar with, that is a whole host of chemicals that are off-gassing from that PVC that we're breathing in. Not a good idea. Drive with the windows open in new cars, I guess. That's right. So the good news with all of this, with PVC, I love about the example of PVC is that it is bad news all around, and almost every single one of those products that we listed, I bet that your listeners could think of a safer alternative to. So couch cushions can be fabric in, you know, chair cushions can be fabric instead of plastic. Um, The children's toys can be made of lots of things besides vinyl. Building well, materials, you know, you you name it. There's it's actually one of those. It's one of those chemicals that's come on the market more recently, and so everybody knows what their grandmother used to use, and that's what you can do. That's PVC free. Well, one of the the, the speaker is, uh, I think, reluctant with the safe alternatives to toxic chemicals bill because he's afraid it's going to hurt industries. That's right. And yeah, the, um, yeah. is that well founded, or do you think um, that that it may be one of those threshold situations where if they can get over the threshold, things will be better? Or I think that that's exactly true. That I think that it's a, it's a, just a knee-jerk reaction of industry groups to oppose this legislation that has been carefully designed over the years to take into account all the scenarios, take into account the economic viability of safer alternatives, to protect jobs, to... Yeah, and to really think about what are the alternatives, is it feasible, including economically feasible, is it safer, and if it's not, then the, if there's not a good alternative, then the, the business is able to just right. keep doing what they were doing. Right, um, and only, in the case of fluorocarbons that were destroying the ozone in the atmosphere, you know, the the Montreal Protocol said, you know, a bunch of nations said, we're not going to do this, use this stuff anymore. But the same chemical industries like DuPont that makes Freon, which is their brand name for that stuff, um, was ready with a safer alternative. So DuPont made money by us all going down and getting the right stuff, you know. So often these chemical companies are on top of what the various alternatives are. You know, you were talking about the toy manufacturer shifting from this to that. Um, you know, that's pretty easy thing to do usually. Yeah. Yep. That's all. That's all definitely true. Um, I mean, there's lots of examples of companies that are using safer alternatives and and seeing excellent profits. Yeah. So we wouldn't be putting Massachusetts out of the running with the other states if we uh, 
got a little more particular and a little more educated our consumers and stuff about you absolutely know, what... not. In fact, in fact, in a lot of ways, we're behind other states at this point. Hmm. Um. And and mercury is another heavy metal. That's right. Another example of heavy metals, mercury. Um, that's actually one that we have done a little more to address here in Massachusetts. In 2006, we passed what's called the Massachusetts Mercury Management Act, and we phased out mercury from lots of products. Uh, the, some of the ones that are most familiar to people are maybe thermostats or thermometers or blood pressure cuffs. Mm. Um, the we still have, Mercury is still in fluorescent light bulbs because that is the only way to make fluorescent light bulbs, and their energy efficiency is so much superior that that is... Uh, yes. That that's important that we keep using those. Um, so we faced out a lot of those products in 2006, though, and now we're doing work to try to keep those thermostats and the, that are still out there on the walls in people's houses and the light bulbs that are still being used every day to keep those out of the trash. Because the problem with mercury is that when it gets when those products go into the trash and the mercury just vaporizes right in the incinerator, it comes up the smokestack and precipitates down and gets into the water and contaminates the fish that we eat. Yeah, this is not the first time you've, you've mentioned that with these toxic chemicals, uh, that, you know, the flip, the one side of the coin is to whether or not we use them, and then the flip side is how do we dispose of them. That's right. And, That's a big um, issue. Because of that, I'm going to kind of jump ahead to um, note that, you, you know, you do work on solid waste recycling, and I think that um, that plays in here very well, doesn't it? It sure does. That's a big part of Clean Water Action's work. Um, again, folks can learn more about that, uh, all of our campaigns at cleanwateraction.org slash MA to learn if, if you want to focus on the Massachusetts part. And we, we work, we work a lot to both to, to promote recycling of Make sure we, we need to raise the state's rates of recycling of things like paper, um, of getting Yes. You know, food scraps and and yard waste out of the trash. Um, a lot of things we're just burning that we just don't need to be. They can be reused, recycled, turned into other products, and that's a big energy efficiency savings, and it's a big you know, pollution savings. And then there's all these other products like computers, like thermostats with mercury in them, like the fluorescent light bulbs that just when they go into the trash, we put all these toxic chemicals into the incinerators and then you either the incinerator filters them out and you have this sludge left over to get rid of or you have or it go or doesn't filter them out and the toxic chemicals go right up the smokestack. Yes. Yeah, I've seen the incinerator uh, I've seen an incinerator where they have to send in people at least twice a year just to smash the glass that is melted and accumulated on the walls, and so they just smash it out, and then they've got a waste problem again. And who knows what that's, else they're pulling out that way. Uh, that's but, right. and there's actually breaking news today on the incinerator front, which is that the Secretary of State, or sorry, the Secretary of Environment in Massachusetts has just announced that they are uh, proposing to change the, the, the Clean Water Action years ago had fought to prevent the state from building any more incinerators. There's an incinerator, an moratorium on any new incinerators because they're so bad news and they discourage recycling if we can just burn the trash. Right. And so they've just announced that they are considering allowing some types of incineration technologies to be allowed. So this is a potential real backsliding in Massachusetts Yikes. Um, that we've just heard that's just become announced today. Yeah, we see this when they want to build um, 
wood burning, you know, generate, you know, power generators, you know, where they might want to use um, old house wood, you know, wood from the houses and stuff. And it's like, you know, all the old houses in Massachusetts have lead built into them and painted into them and stuff. And, and that's right. That that's very scary. But what's ex- most interesting about your work, Elizabeth Saunders, at Clean Water Action, is that, you know, people, you and me and the listeners, we're the ones responsible for being savvy about how we sort our waste stream, you know, what we put where. And, um, and that's really important because people don't want to despoil the world or the earth. They, you know, but um, there's just so many things, you know, and... It's, I'm always surprised when I go into a, a, a store, electronic store, and I see the, the battery recycling bin that they have out there for you. You know, if I hadn't seen that, I would just throw my batteries away with everything else and stuff. And, and uh, so, um, tell us a little bit about that work, about uh, how people can make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, there's certainly a lot that we can do as consumers by learning about toxic chemicals in our products, looking for safer ones, and figuring out. What a, and it was a lot, and figuring out how to recycle the products that we do bring into our homes. And it's a lot of work for consumers, and so we really feel strongly that the government needs to protect our health and make all of this as easy for people as possible. Um, that makes it fair across the board, so that everybody has equal access to the safer products, to the recycling programs. Um, which is not the case right now. We didn't even get into the inequity, um, and so there's a lot. And so, one of the strategies that we really use and rely on at Clean Water Action is strength in numbers. We build our membership. We band together as citizens who care about these issues uh, to and raise our voices in lots of different ways to elected officials, to our legislators, to the governor, uh, to the president, to Congress. Uh, to demand change and demand that the government use its power to protect us and protect Absolutely. our Absolutely. Elizabeth, it's just been fantastic talking with you about the work, your work, and with Clean Water Action. Um, we just have a few seconds to wrap up, and um, would you like some closing words? I would encourage everyone to get involved. Get get involved with something locally in your town, or better, or come sign up for Clean Water Action, and we can we'll help you get plugged in to how you can help make a difference on these issues. So, cleanwateraction.org. Sign up as a volunteer uh, and check out the actions on our action page. Um, there'll be something there'll be something coming next week just around, around this incinerator issue that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. And we really need everyone to be writing writing in. So, please join us. And when you're cleaning up after the holidays, take a good look at what you're putting into the trash and which trash bin you're putting it in um, right. and, and try to help us all have a cleaner earth to share and live together in. Uh, for this episode of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, thanks a lot for listening. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hey, we're back, and I want to thank everybody for telephoning in and causing the standing ovation of, of demand for us to come back for just a quick few more minutes. And with me is Elizabeth Saunders from Clean Water Action. And um, what should we be thinking about in terms of uh, avoiding toxic chemicals and contaminating the world and the earth uh, this time of year? Well, it's a good question. Lots of people are out doing holiday shopping in December, and it's a good thing to be thinking about is how do you make sure that when you're bringing uh when you when you give a gift to someone you care about that you're not giving them an accidental dose of toxic chemicals yikes yeah exactly um so i think that one of the areas that's good for everybody to be aware about parents grandparents aunts and uncles is children's toys uh, we talked a little bit earlier about polyvinyl chloride or pvc and that's an increasingly uh, prevalent ingredient in or component in children's toys, and I think it's really good to try to avoid that when you can and look for product, look for toys that are made of of wood or for of safer plastics uh, or you know any other any other types. I think going going back to this you know, simple. The simple products that some of us grew up on or that are sometimes a safer bet. Um, it's good for children's learning and it's good for, and it's good for protecting our health as well. Um, so yes, I, think yes, I raised products, three sons and, and learned quickly. And from my own experience is that we really like imaginative toys, things that make us think and, and manipulate, not just a, a plastic talking, you know, buddy ranger or something. But that's um, right. So I think avoiding the PVCs and avoiding the electronics um, are really important for protecting our health. The electronics, as I mentioned earlier, have often have a lot of flame retardants in them. So looking for things that are 
that are wood or again I think an example that happened to me recently was a friend of mine announced that she was pregnant and her uh mother-in-law you know said oh I've got these plastic books that the kids can chew on I'll I, um can't wait to give them to you and I was just sitting there biting my tongue trying right. not to meant well. you know rain on her mother-in-law's parade <laughs> but knowing that that's probably a vinyl book and that the cardboard or paper ones were probably a better bet yeah, but um, you could find, you know, cloth and clay finger puppets or something. Exactly. That exactly. could bring a lot more play than um, the vinyl plastic thing. Right. And people ask a lot about how do I know what's on these products. And part of the problem is that you don't. Our no. labeling is terrible in this in this country. And as I said earlier, even if everything was labeled, you know, who knows what all these chemical names mean? A lot. Some of them are safe. Some of them are toxic. Um, and so I think, but I think that we once you start to think about this and be aware, you can often have good instincts. If something smells really strong, of kind of chemically smell, whether it's a perfume or whether it's just that plasticky smell that's like a shower, you know, that you might associate with a new shower curtain. Mm -hmm. Um, That's often a sign. It's not a guarantee, but it's often a sign that that's that's a more toxic product. Now, if it doesn't smell, it doesn't necessarily, you know, but it's like something about using our intuition. It's something we can do as, as, as consumers. Um, just sort of, I often talk to people. Just think like a detective when you're when you're shopping. Um, uh, not as, don't assume that everything's safe just because it's on the store shelves. At the same time, we don't all have to panic. It's really important. Lowering our stress levels is also good for our health. And so, not worrying if there's about every single chemical and every single product. You know, that one product isn't going to do isn't going to do the damage. It's the accumulation of everything over time. Right. Right. Well, those are wise words. And um, what kinds of things can people learn from your from the Clean Action Water Action page? Clean Water well, Action. We, yeah, we have lots of uh, Clean Water Action, as we mentioned earlier, covers a lot of different types of campaigns. And if we're sp- but specifically uh, looking for our work on toxic chemicals, it'll give you some basic information and the link on what we're doing and then link you over to the website of the Alliance for Healthy Tomorrow, which is the coalition that we've helped to found uh, that's addressing these issues. And there is just a, a wealth of information, links to other sites that, are show, that uh, include resources for consumers and ways to take action, um, some great sites for finding safer products in the realm of personal care products and cosmetics, would be the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, so safecosmetics.org. There's an online database where you can search the names of products and find safer alternatives there, um, look up the different ingredients and what they mean. Um, so that's safecosmetics.org. Another good website is healthystuff.org. It's, uh, they've tested lots of children's toys, accessory, you know, accessories like handbags, um, pet to- products, Cars, car seats, lots of different things have been tested at HealthyStuff.org, and they share the results there. Oh, great! Uh, and there's also a new uh, uh, a new database online by the Environmental Working Group about cleaning products. So there's lots of good resources out there. Well, that's great. So go to CleanWaterAction.org, right? That's right. Address. That's right. And Elizabeth, once again, thank you so much for taking this time to talk to us about. Um, toxic chemicals in particular, and um, good luck with uh, the bill up on Beacon Hill in Massachusetts called Safe Alternatives to Toxic Chemicals. That's right. Thank you, Rob. Glad to have the opportunity to be here. Well, and then next time 
the next episode, uh, Sue Reed from Conservation Law Foundation will be my guest. And uh, we'll take it from a different direction. I think we'll talk less toxic chemicals and more about environmental problems and issues of transportation. Uh, so that's next time. But for today, thanks so much for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.